1, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these gifts that You have given to Your church by the Holy Spirit. Lord, may there be no ignorance among us of these spiritual gifts. But Lord, enlighten us, encourage us to reach out by faith and to take these gifts as our own and to use them in the building up of the body of Christ, and in the work of the gospel. We love you and thank you for this morning. We ask that you bless us now by your Spirit, through your Word, in Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday was my birthday, and I had quite a few friends send me birthday wishes on Facebook. And if you were one of them, I appreciate you taking the time to do so. As a matter of fact, here are a few greetings that I received. One guy wrote, Your birth gave the earth an upgrade. Since I came to Jesus, I certainly hope so. Another friend wrote, You are now older than me. That's kind of a weird birthday cheer, but okay. Here's a better one. Sounds like your day was heavenly. Well, it was heavenly. I got to preach the Bible. But I never really think of my birthday as my day. Here's why. Sort of seems ambitious to me. That with 7.4 billion people in the world, spread out over just 365 possible birthdays, that one of those days would be my day. Just seems like that's a reach. By the way, 7.4 billion people divided by 365 means that my day is also the special day for 20,273,972 other people as well. My day is also the day for a lot of other people too. And yet despite these details, a birthday is a special day. But there is a day even more notable than your birthday. I've heard it said... There are two great moments in a person's life, the moment you were born and the moment you realize why you were born. And it is the knowing why that makes the day so important. 
For God has created each of us with a role, with a purpose, with a ministry. Your day is a special day because you're special. You were created to be used by God. And two factors shape our usefulness in Christ. First is our place within His body. Here in chapter 12, we're going to learn that the church is a body. We'll discuss this in more detail next week, but as your body consists of many members working together, so is the body of Christ. You need me and I need you. A Christian is left frustrated and unfulfilled if he or she never finds their place in the body of Christ. And the second factor that shapes our usefulness are our gifts. Every believer has available to them spiritual gifts. All Christians need to find their place and use their gift. Next week, we'll talk about finding our place. This morning, we want to talk about using our gift. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 begins. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And yet despite Paul's desire, there's probably more ignorance over the subject of spiritual gifts than any other subject in the church. Paul wrote this verse and this chapter nearly 2,000 years ago, and there's still great ignorance in the church over the Spirit's gifts. Realize Even though the Corinthians had their problems, their confusions, God was still very active among them. Jesus was moving in this church. God was at work through the Spirit of Christ, through the person of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is not a vibe, not a force, not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is a person. Today, when a Christian relates spiritually to God, they do so through the person of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit was alive and active in the church. In the church at Corinth, spiritual gifts were commonplace. They just weren't always coupled with common sense. Like in many quarters of the church today, there was an ignorance over the proper use of spiritual gifts. And as a result, the gifts were being abused and misused. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're taught that God intends for spiritual gifts to unite the church. Sadly, in the church at Corinth, these gifts had led to division and to various schisms. In chapter 12, verse 4, the Greek word translated spiritual gifts is the word charisma. Charis is the Greek word for grace. Mata is gift. The spiritual gifts are grace gifts. They're an extension of the grace we've received in Christ. Neither His salvation or His gifts can be earned or purchased by our goodness or our good works. They're given freely. And when it comes to these spiritual gifts or charismas, Christians tend to gravitate toward two extremes, either charismania or charisphobia. I grew up in a church dominated by charisphobia. We were afraid of the gifts. Our pastor wouldn't touch Acts chapter 2 with a 10-foot pole. The baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues were taboo. We were afraid of spiritual gifts. Supernatural manifestations were explained away as having ended with the apostles. We were taught that the compilation of the New Testament books made spiritual gifts now obsolete. 
But that's not what the Bible teaches. Nowhere does the New Testament suggest that healings and miracles and tongues and the like have passed away. Instead, in chapter 14, verse 1, Paul instructs us, desire spiritual gifts. We should be open and we should want all the gifts that God wants to give us. Some Christians are afraid of God's charismas, whereas other churches are dominated by them. They're caught up in what's been called charismania. You know, it's possible for Christians to become so enamored with the gifts that they neglect the giver. And this is what had happened in the church at Corinth. The Christians were thrilled with these supernatural displays of God's power, but that power had never been applied to holy and godly living. Some churches are preoccupied with power over piety, dynamic over discipleship. They ignore biblical precedent and chase after the latest thrill, no matter how silly or how trivial. They're emotionally charged rather than biblically led. Their services are more like a circus. Hey, the world is dying in sin and deceived by man's wisdom, while some churches are laughing uncontrollably and pray for God to change their amalgam feelings into gold. Show me that. Show me chapter and verse for that. Charismania cares more about being sensational than it does being biblical. Oh, stuff happens. The saints get entertained, but no one muscles up or grows in their faith. This is what we need. Supposedly, miracles are occurring, but the saints aren't maturing. And this was the situation that existed in the church at Corinth. This is why churches need a proper balance. We desperately need the power of God's Spirit, but we also need the knowledge to use that power wisely and appropriately. Some churches are a fireplace with no fire. The heart of the church is cold and empty. They're all about rightness and orthodoxy, but there's no life, no passion, no fire. Other churches are like a fire without a fireplace. Oh, there's a spiritual emphasis, all right, but it burns out of control. We need the fire in the fireplace. We need the fire of God's Spirit, but within the fireplace of God's Word. We want to see people won and warmed, not burned. I love the adage. The Word without the Spirit will cause a church to dry up. The Spirit without the Word will cause a church to blow up. But the Spirit working through the Word will cause the church to grow up. And it's this latter kind of church that I want us to be. Hey, I'm not charismatic. Spiritual gifts are for today, and I want them all. But I'm also not charismatic. If an experience is not taught in the Scripture, I don't want it. The Bible is the final authority for faith and practice. If it's not biblical, apparently God doesn't think I need it. I'm against the charisphobia and the charismania. Give me the genuine charisma. The gifts of the Spirit laid out in Scripture were purchased by the blood of Jesus. They are the believer's birthright. They are our inheritance. And it pleases the Father to see us exercise His gifts that the Spirit allocates to give us. Haven't there been times in your life when you wish you had a little something extra? A boost from above? Like an athlete on steroids? I mean, what if there was a spiritual supplement? 
something legal, something healthy, a performance enhancer from God that would get us over the top and help us win victories for Him. Well, there is. God promises to give His people spiritual gifts that make them effective in their service for Him. And God doesn't want His people to be ignorant of these gifts. Something remarkable had happened in the church at Corinth. They had gone from serving muted idols to serving a talkative God. He tells them in verse 2, You know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. We'll discover that the Corinthians were particularly enamored with the vocal gifts, with prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues. And here we learn why. They were Gentiles who had lived their whole life long serving dumb idols, muted idols. The false gods they had served had no voice. They couldn't speak. But now, as Christians, they had an audible God. Now the Holy Spirit spoke to them and through them. No wonder they had gotten a little carried away. And yet Paul warns these Corinthians, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. In other words, every time you hear a voice that says, Thus saith the Lord, don't assume that what comes next is really from the Lord. Reminds me of the fisherman. He'd cut a hole in the ice. He baited his hook. He'd drop down the bait into the hole. When all of a sudden he heard a voice, there are no fish under this ice. Well, he moved a few feet away, cut another hole in the ice. Again, he lowered down his hook. When he heard the voice again, there are no fish under this ice. He looked up to heaven and he shouted, Lord, is that you? The voice spoke, no, it's the ice rink manager. (laughs) Not every voice you think is from God meets the criteria. We have to test the voice to identify its source. And here's how every voice should be judged. How does it harmonize with God's Word? both His written Word and His living Word. You see, God has already spoken to us in two places, through the Bible and through Jesus. Since He has spoken through the Bible, then this book becomes the sounding board for identifying any other communication that God might want to send us. Does what I'm hearing line up with what He's already been written? God will never contradict Himself. And does what I'm hearing exalt the living Word, Jesus Christ? God sent His Son to reveal His nature. Thus, any communication from God will honor the heart of Jesus. This is why Paul says that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit will ever speak ill of Jesus. The Spirit moves on a person's heart to submit to His Lordship, to exalt Jesus in his life to help that person declare their allegiance to Jesus, not to curse Him or to deny His authority. Whenever we study these spiritual gifts, we need to realize that miracles can be counterfeited. You remember Egypt's pagan priests. They were able to duplicate Moses' miracles up to a point. The end times Antichrist will work lying wonders, we're told. Even today, Mormons claim to speak in tongues. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they build up the body of Christ. They're good for us and bring God glory 
And that's why Satan does all that he can to try and discredit them. Well, here in verse 4, Paul lists what I believe are three categories of spiritual gifts. He writes, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Paul speaks of gifts, ministries, and activities. Or we could list them motivations, ministries, and manifestations. First, there are diversities of gifts. In Romans 12, Paul lists seven gifts, prophecy, service, teaching, exhorting, giving, leading, and mercy, which are basic motivations in the Christian life. These gifts are spiritual tendencies that God plants within each of us to help shape and color our ministry. The second type of spiritual gift mentioned in verse 5 are differences of ministries. Ephesians 4 lists four types of ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. These gifts are offices to the church. And then the third type of spiritual gift, which is what he deals with here, gets labeled activities. In Greek, it's energio or energies. Think of a supernatural burst. There are manifestations of spiritual power that God wants to reveal and unleash in your life. And verses 8 through 10 list nine such gifts. The spiritual gifts come in great variety in the form of motivations, ministries, and manifestations. Now verse 7 prefaces the gifts listed in the three following verses by calling them manifestations of the Spirit. Paul writes in verse 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And this is an important verse. For the gifts of the Spirit that he's about to mention in his next few verses are a manifestation or a display, a revealing of God's Spirit. These are supernatural gifts. These are spontaneous eruptions of Holy Spirit insight or power. Understand that spiritual gifts are not learned skills or human traits or natural talents or physical abilities. You're not born with spiritual gifts. They're conveyed by the Holy Spirit. Nor are the gifts something that you can practice and cultivate. Spiritual gifts are supernatural enablings that wouldn't be present in your life if they weren't provided to you by the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes it clear why we're given these spiritual gifts. Verse 7 tells us, they're for the profit of all. My gifts should be to your profit. Your gifts should benefit me. Thus, we are most profitable when we're working together. Each Christian gets a gift, but everyone benefits. You see, spiritual gifts are not means by which we show off. Rather, they're means by which we build up. The benefit I derive from exercising a spiritual gift is often the joy of me blessing another person. And this is why we shouldn't become proud of a spiritual gift. We call this word charisma. It means grace gift. You don't get proud over a gift. You become grateful when you receive a gift. 
Spiritual gifts aren't merit badges. They're not spiritual medals that you receive for some noble deed or achievement. Spiritual gifts are an extension of God's grace. This is why a brand new Christian, still dripping in baptismal water, just a few hours removed from sin and shame, can speak in tongues or can receive a word of wisdom. It has nothing to do with the person's worthiness. It's all grace. All spiritual gifts are freebies. Once there was an old lumberjack who was told by a friend that he should buy a chainsaw. The guy says, you'll chop four times more wood with a chainsaw than with your axe. But after several outings with his new chainsaw, the lumberjack was chopping less wood. In frustration, he returned the saw to the hardware store. The clerk was surprised. You know, he cranked it to try to troubleshoot the chainsaw. As soon as it roared to life, the lumberjack got this weird look on his face. He said, what's that noise? You see, spiritual gifts are like power tools. The Spirit comes upon us and revs up supernatural capacities in our lives that enable us to do more and to do better for God. Recently, I ran across a list, the top 10 spiritual gifts not listed in the Bible. For some reason, these were left out. Number number 10, untwisting cellophane-wrapped candy during the sermon without making any noise. That's a real gift. Number nine, teaching three-year-olds by yourself. Number eight, holding a sneeze for the duration of a sermon. Number seven, pronouncing the genealogies correctly. Number six, unlocking a car door with a coat hanger, a gift every usher should be equipped with. Number five, matchmaking singles. Number four, turning to Old Testament books without using the table of contents. Number three, passing communion trays one-handed. Number two, clapping on beat, which nobody in this church has. (laughs) And number one, coming up with funny announcement ideas. Actually, these aren't spiritual gifts. These are just aptitudes that come in handy around the church. And we don't have to go outside the Scripture for a list, for God has left nothing out. Verses 8 through 10 list nine manifestations of the Holy Spirit. First are gifts of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. Second are gifts of wonder, faith, healings, and miracles. And third, the gifts of worship, prophecy, different kinds of tongues, and then interpretation of tongues. Verse 8 lists the gifts of wisdom. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, and then there's a related gift, verse 10, the discerning of spirits. Knowledge, of course, is information. Wisdom is the application of that information. And we need both, don't we? On his famous voyage to the New World, it was said of Christopher Columbus, as he was sailing, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And when he got back, he didn't know where he'd been. Sometimes that's how I feel. 
Sometimes, like Columbus, we need knowledge and wisdom and discernment. You see, a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge is just that. It's a word. It's not the whole book. It's just a bit of knowledge or a fragment of wisdom. Bible teacher Harold Horton describes these two gifts as divinely granted flashes of revelation. Suddenly, God turns on the light. We become privy to information that otherwise we would have never known. You remember in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's when Jesus told him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter's correct answer wasn't the result of his own perceptive powers. It wasn't that he was smarter or brighter or quicker than the other disciples. He got a heavy revy. God revealed a truth to Peter that otherwise he would have never known. God flashed across the screen of his mind a special bit of knowledge. His revelation was a spiritual gift. And this can happen to us. Suddenly, in a perplexing situation, the Lord might give you a piece of the puzzle. Maybe not all the information you'd like, but enough to make sense of your situation. Or maybe to know what course you should take. It's like a flash of genius. An idea or insight comes across the monitor of your mind. It's information you couldn't have possibly known without the help of the Holy Spirit. I recall one Easter Sunday, I was climbing out of the shower to head to church when a random thought struck me. Tell the worship leader to change the strings on his guitar. Well, when I arrived at church, I got caught up in all the special activities that morning and I forgot until the middle of the second service when all of a sudden one of the worship leader's guitar strings popped. He was out of sync the rest of the morning. I had received a word of knowledge, but I didn't act on it to the detriment of the body. Hey, when out of the blue a thought crosses your mind, don't just dismiss it. God could be sending you a word of knowledge or wisdom. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus promises us words of wisdom. He tells his disciples, Therefore settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Jesus was warning his disciples that they'd be put on the spot. They would be called on to stand up for their faith. But in that moment of trial, the Holy Spirit would come to their rescue. He would give them a mouth and wisdom. He would give them words to say and the wisdom to say it. One Sunday, my wife Kathy, she met a girl whose friend had brought her to church that morning. It was the only time Kathy had ever talked to that lady until three months later. When suddenly, mysteriously, God spoke to my wife and told her to call the lady. But this lady had suffered a severe tragedy. Well, Kathy got her phone number from the friend who had brought her to church that morning. She called her. And she discovered that on that very day, her family had held a memorial service for her deceased father. Kathy's daddy died in an accident when she was 10 years old. And she was able to wonderfully minister to this grieving lady. And how did my wife know this lady had suffered a tragedy? It was a word of knowledge. 
Another gift of the Holy Spirit is the discerning of spirits. A beautiful example of this gift is found in Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas, they're preaching Christ in the town of Lystra. When all of a sudden they run across a lame man. Luke tells us, Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. This is interesting. How did Paul know this man had faith? I mean, you don't go around wearing a sign that says, I got faith. Faith doesn't have symptoms like warts or a fever or shakes. I mean, how did he know he had faith? Apparently, the Holy Spirit gave Paul discernment into this man's heart. I'm sure most of us are literate. We can read the lines of words. But you know, to survive in this crazy world, it's just as important to be able to read between the lines. For not everyone is honest. Situations and people are not always as they seem. And the Holy Spirit is like Google. He searches the hearts and souls of men. The Bible teaches that Satan appears as an angel of light. He can come as a wolf in sheep's clothing. Thus, we need to see behind the facade. We need to be able to discern the spirits. Realize a Christian with this gift isn't a clairvoyant. You don't have to avoid being around this brother for fear of him accessing your thoughts or reading your mind or something. If he or she has supernatural powers like this, it's through the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not as if they wield them on their own. These insights come as a gift from God. Jesus was given spiritual discernment in Luke chapter 22. He sensed a battle raging over the faith of Peter. He cried out, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Jesus got a glimpse into the spiritual realm and he used this gift of discernment to pray for Peter. And this is often the reason for this gift, to help us pray effectively for our friends. Well, in addition to the gifts of wisdom, there are also gifts of wonder. Paul says in verse 9, to another faith by the same Spirit. It's been said nobody gets over a canyon in two steps. At times you need to take a leap of faith. And that leap is helped by the gift of faith. This gift is a special allocation of faith given by the Holy Spirit that enables us to rise up under duress and to be bold for God. This is lion's den faith. This is giant slaying faith. This is water walking faith. This is mountain moving faith. I have my own name for this gift of faith. I call it bungee jumping faith. How many of you have ever been bungee jumping? Raise your hand. You ever been bungee now? Yeah. Now I know who not to allow to borrow my car. You guys are crazy. I mean, who in their right mind jumps off a bridge with a rubber band tied to their ankle? But that is exactly how a person with the gift of faith behaves. This is what happens to a believer with this gift. He or she throws caution to the wind. They do stuff for God they wouldn't normally do. Rather than play it safe, they pick up the hitchhiker. They they give more than they can afford. 
They go to that foreign country on the mission trip. They agree to teach Sunday school. Oh, my. You witness to your boss at work. When we started Calvary Chapel, we took major risks. Launching a church from scratch is a daring venture. In hindsight, some of the stuff we did then, today we might consider reckless. Yet we were operating in the gift of faith. This is what Jesus spoke of in Matthew chapter 17, verse 20, when he said, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Everybody reads that verse, and they focus on the tiny size of the mustard seed. And they reason, just a little faith will move mountains. But not just the size of the faith. What if Jesus points to the seed in order to call attention to the source of that faith? You see, a seed comes from the outside. It gets planted into the soil. And this is true of mountain-moving faith. It's not from us. It's from God. The Holy Spirit implants this faith in our hearts so that we can do the impossible, the gift of faith. And then Paul writes to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit. Ultimately, we will all be healed of all our illnesses. When you arrive in heaven, you'll arrive in perfect health. That's so cool. One of the first things I do when I get to heaven, I'm going to cancel my health insurance. The money I save will be heavenly. And yet on earth, there are times when God chooses not to heal. Last I checked, we're all going to die. Sorry, none of us are going to get out of here alive. Reminds me of the evangelist who was in the midst of this colossal healing crusade. and He called two men out of the crowd. Jimmy walked onto the platform. He was on two crutches. Toby, he had a terrible stuttering problem. The evangelist told both men to stand over behind the curtain while he prayed for their healing. When he finished his prayer, the evangelist shouted, Jimmy, throw away your crutches. All of a sudden, two crutches comes flying over the top of the screen. Then he shouted, Toby, speak. And you could hear Toby from behind the curtain. Preacher, Jimmy, fail. you laughed a little bit more than the first service that's all I can say (laughs) not always but God does heal and he heals in many different ways most often God heals naturally your human body was designed with amazing rejuvenating capacities God also heals medically through doctors. The marvels of modern medicine are no less a miracle from God. But at times, God does heal supernaturally. There is such a thing as gifts of healings. God uses individuals in the church to lay hands on the sick and to pray for their recovery. We have seen these miracles here at our church. I recall a lady suffering from a serious heart disease. She was facing major surgery. She asked if we could come by her house and to pray for her. We did. The next day at her pre-op exam, the doctor told her the problem was gone. 
He canceled the surgery. There was no need for it. And we praise the Lord. Is there a doctor in the house? Yes, there is. His name is Jesus. And I believe there are times when he directs certain people to touch the sick and to pray for their healing. Not only did Jesus do this while on earth, so did his disciples. And there is nothing in the scripture that says he doesn't want his disciples today to do the same. Notice, though, the double plural here. It's gifts of healings. Apparently, there are different types of healings that God wants to perform. Physical healing, but then there's also mental healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing. This world we live in is a cruel place. Folks get hurt in multiple ways, and God touches us where we hurt. There's also different gifts or ways of mediating God's healing through prayer, through the physical touch, like the laying on of hands, etc. It's gifts of healings. And then verse 10 mentions to another the working of miracles. If you believe Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, that God created the heavens and the earth, then you'll have no problem with miracles. For if God created the laws of nature, then He can suspend or override them when and if He chooses. Miracles were common in Jesus' ministry. He walked on water. He multiplied the fish and bread. He turned water into wine. He calmed the storm. In Acts, the apostles also worked miracles. It's been said, where the age of faith is not past, the age of miracles is not past. I never validated the story, but I heard Pastor Chuck tell it is true. A girl didn't have enough gas to get to church one Wednesday night, and she wanted to come so badly. She went out, she took her garden hose, and she tuck it, stuck it in the tank of her car. And she filled up her tank with water, and then she prayed for God to turn the water into gasoline. When she had finished praying, she drove her car to Calvary Chapel, and she worshiped God that night. Now we roll our eyes at such a story. But why? Have we, in our own minds, limited what God can and can't do? Who are we to do that? In John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Jesus promised that his Spirit would continue his supernatural work through us. Perhaps the greatest miracles are still ahead. I read this from Billy Graham. As we approach the end of the age, I believe we will see a dramatic recurrence of signs and wonders which will demonstrate the power of God to a skeptical world. Just as the powers of Satan are being unleashed with greater intensity, so I believe God will allow signs and wonders to be performed. Let's be open to miracles. And verse 10 mentions three more gifts. Gifts of worship. And the first is prophecy. Prophecy is the speaking out of spontaneous message from God. God puts words into your mind which, which, to which you give a voice. You speak His words by faith. And according to chapter 14, verse 3, prophecy brings 
edification, exhortation, and comfort. It certainly did for us. On the last weekend of May 1982, there were some pastor's wives who laid hands and prayed for Kathy, my wife, to have a child. We were struggling to have a child at the time. And during their prayer, one of the ladies prophesied, by this time next year, you will have a son. Well, to make a long story short, on May the 29th, 1983, we were in the hospital, hospital giving birth to our firstborn, Zach, exactly one year after the prophecy, to the very day. And you can't imagine the comfort that has brought to us over the years trying to raise that boy. God had a plan for him before he was ever born. You can't imagine the comfort and encouragement and exhortation that it's given to Zach. What a blessing. We're going to talk more about these gifts of worship, about prophecy and about tongues and about the interpretation of tongues in chapter 14 because it deals specifically with all the above. Verse 11 wraps up Paul's list of spiritual gifts by reminding us, but one and the same Spirit works all these things distributing to each one individually as he wills. In other words, you don't get to pick your own gift. You might say, well, man, I want the gift of healing. That'd be great, run around healing, folks. Hey, that doesn't mean God will oblige. It doesn't work that way. The Spirit decides which gifts are distributed to whom. As I mentioned, the Greek word translated spiritual gifts in most of this chapter is the word charisma, but not in verse 1. There it's the word pneumotikos, which means things belonging to the Spirit. And here's a fundamental point. These gifts still belong to the Holy Spirit. That's why I believe a spiritual gift is something you don't carry around in your back pocket and just kind of whip out whenever you want to show it off. You don't just conjure it up on your own apart from the Holy Spirit. These are things belonging to the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are ours to use, but they remain His gifts. He is the power behind them, not us. Thus, when we exercise spiritual gifts, we should always rely on the Spirit's power and direction. He is sovereign over His gifts. Well, last Sunday, I had quite a few birthday greetings on Facebook, but few of the well-wishers actually sent me a gift. That might happen to you on your birthday as well. Yet God not only celebrates the day we were born, He goes a step further, and He wants us to know why we were born, and that's the reason He follows up His wishes with a gift. In fact, multiple gifts spiritual gifts, and using those gifts are one of the ways that we discover our purpose in this life. Another way is finding our place, and that's what we'll talk about next week. 